So it was, uh, it was Halloween night, 2007. Um, I find myself approaching the police barriers at the um, Halloween Pride Parade event in Oaklawn and Dallas. Uh, what that is, is it's the um, Gay Pride Parade on Halloween night. Okay, So I, I think I'm going to be a spectator in this thing. Uh, the next thing I know, I'm marching in it. And then God showed up and changed my life forever. You guys want to hear the story? Okay. So uh, I'm a student at Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, go whatever. We don't have a mascot, but if we did, we'd, I'd say go something there. Um, I am helping lead a men's Bible study for some salty men. Um, when I say that there was a lot of colorful language in Bible study, I suspect you can figure out what I mean there. Um, one night, uh, this guy walks in who I hadn't seen before. I meet him. Um, his name's Don Dent. And I ask him if we can go to coffee the next morning. So we show up at Starbucks, and uh, Don starts telling me a story. Uh, he leads off with this He says, um, Well, you need to know this. I'm very gay, and my whole life has just changed. I was like, cool, I'm in. I want to hear this story. And so he starts telling me his story. um, And here's how it went. Every day um, he takes this road from his neighborhood um, to his gym. He has to go through downtown Dallas, kind of by the arts district. There was this really cool brick building that was being renovated. And he was pretty excited to see what it was going to become. And one morning he sees the sign company show up. So he's, he's getting pretty excited. He wants to know what's, what's coming. Well, the next morning, um, his, excitement's turn, his excitement turns to fury because now the sign reads, fellowshipchurch.com. Don hates Christians. So he goes home. He gets his laptop out and figures out where fellowshipchurch.com is slash Dallas campus. And he writes an email to pastor at fellowshipchurch.com slash Dallas. It goes something like this. Um, Not sure why you're in the arts district. Um, You guys normally congregate in the suburbs. I prefer it if you would keep it that way. We're doing just fine without you. Um, I wish it were in the time of the Romans so that we could still feed you to lions. Yours truly, Don Dent. And he meant every single word of his email. So the pastor somehow gets this through his secretary. I don't know how it passed. Um, And he writes back. He says, Mr. Dent, I'm so sorry to hear that you feel that way. Uh, I suspect that we're not who you think we are. And I'd love it if you'd come check us out before you prejudge us. Don, at this point, has been sober for 25 plus years. um, And one of the steps... It's making amends, so he's just made a foul. So he goes to church for the first time in 30 years that Sunday. Um, he goes to fellowshipchurch.com, like the real building. Walks up the steps. The greeting team freaks him out. Um, he doesn't know why they're so smiley and, you know, probably all the coffee that they've been ingesting. And he says, where's your CEO? They're like, uh, do you mean our pastor? 
yeah, is that who leads this thing? Yeah, that's our, that's our pastor. His name's Chris. Can I introduce you to him? And so they march Don down to the front row, um, to which Pastor Chris extends his hand, introduces him to his wife and children. And this is the first time a Christian had ever shown him kindness. So he sits through, it's kind of a laser church, like a bunch of smoke and like dirt bikes jumping on stage. <laughs> so he was like, ah, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, not what I was expecting. Um, and so Don was curious and, and he kept coming back on Wednesday nights. He showed up for an inductive Bible study on the book of James. And he became friends with these folks. But on the last day, when they'd finished up the study... He had made a decision. He'd said, you know what? The God that these Christians worship um, is really no different than the one I've created for myself in AA, my higher power. Um, I'll never prejudge Christians again. Um, I want these folks to be my friends. But if I'm honest, I kind of want my Wednesday nights back. And I mean, Sunday morning, that's like, that's a pretty big ask, right? For me to give up Sunday morning. So he goes home. Gets in bed, and that night, um, he wakes up crying uncontrollably. So he goes downstairs. It's three in the morning. He says something to this effect. Jesus, I believe that you are real. I believe that you died because of something these Christians keep calling sin. Um, I don't know what that means. I don't know what a sin is or if I've ever done one of those. But somehow I know that I'm responsible for your death. Then he looks up at the ceiling and he says, why would you waste those three nails on me? And in an instant, Don Dent was born again. Just like that. You see, Don had something that we all have at that moment. Right? Humility. He understood something about the core of his being that he didn't prior to that moment. So I meet him a week later. And when I say this dude was radically changed, I mean radically changed. Um, just, just crazy. So it was super fun. So we're, we're at Starbucks. Um, we're talking. Um, he starts teaching me all this stuff about relational evangelism and missions and you know he's like hey if you if you actually care about my friends and you need to come drink my coffee you need to buy your clothes at my friend's stores like you can't stay over on DTSville right like don't go to North Park to buy your clothes like come to my friend's shops like this is what you got to do so anyway Don's teaching me all this stuff so I'm in whatever Don is saying um, I'm in as far as reaching getting to know his people so it's Halloween night, 2007. We have dinner. Um, I'm assuming we're going to watch this parade. Um, Don marches us right up to the queue. Let's a, um, I won't tell you what kind of float, but this float go by. And then we jump in. And we're starting to march. And... Um, kind of looking around and I'm thinking, man, this is really, this is a really strange place for me to be. Um, 
And then God kind of slowed everything down. All the sights, the sounds, they faded away. And God spoke to me in the core of my being. He said, are you ready to stop playing the Pharisee? He brought up our passage uh, in the deepest part of my soul. He reminded me of this scripture. And he said, Britt, you've, you've done well at getting to know about me. You study me well. But somehow, deep down, you think that you have more, that you bring more to the table in regards to your salvation and your present acceptance before me than do these men that are surrounded, surrounding you. And he was right. Somehow I had forgotten about God's grace. Somehow I would forgotten about my true state before him. I don't know how long I was out. Um, I don't know if I cried. But something deep within me had shifted. I understood my depravity at a deeper level than I ever thought possible. My posture went from that of the Pharisee to the tax collector in an instant. Um, I don't know about you, but the longer you follow Jesus, there's this temptation to forget about grace. You forget where you came from, and maybe you don't have as colorful a past as Don or a gentleman that we're going to watch his uh, testimony here in a few minutes. But we forget that we're constantly in need. So we start to look down on others. When we read the parable, the gospel tonight, what happened? I bet you thought you were better than that Pharisee, didn't you? Yeah. You, like, reading about the Pharisee, you became the Pharisee. Right? It's very strange how this thing works. Remember that man looks at the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. And, and this evening we're looking at a parable where God explores the difference between the two. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, open up to Luke 18. We're going to quickly go through this because it took way too long on that story. So two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. Instead, he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Um, it, it's difficult for us living in 2015 to understand what was going on at the time because uh, we're not Jewish and we don't understand the Second Temple period. Um, but w- what, what we need to know is that the Pharisee invokes his VIP status and he goes straight to the front of the line. Okay, So, so he's, he's going as far into the temple as he can. Um, on, on Friday, I was working on the sermon at local coffee, and the barista said, what are you up to today, bro? Well, I'm writing a sermon. He's like, cool, on what? What subject? I was like, well, it's um, parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And he just kind of stared at me blankly, and I was like, well, um, it, it'd basically be a story about um, a blogger for Christianity Today um, and a human trafficker showing up at church on the same day. 
And still just like crickets, like come in. It's like, what? Anyway, um, at the time when Jesus is telling this, he's got everybody on the very edge of their seats, right? Because he's saying a Pharisee and a tax collector. They show up at the temple the exact same time. So Bible Boy and Shady McShaderton um, are walking up the steps together. They probably look at each other, right? Do a little... We can assume um, from verse 13, remember we said that the Pharisee goes in further. So there's this posture that he has that he is confident before God, right? We don't know how far he goes in, but he goes in much further than the Pharisee who stands far off. Um, Outward posture many times reveals what's going on in our hearts, right? Uh, For some of us, we lift our hands in worship. I'm not going to do it because I'm pitting. Um, We lift our hands in worship. See, the outward posture of my heart right now is I don't want to be embarrassed, okay? I don't want you to see my sweat, right? Or, or some of us, when we're being prayed over, we hold our hands out like this as an outward sign, God, we want to receive from you, right? And so in this story, we see two different, drastically different outward postures. Pharisee, he's all dressed up. He's doing the whole, you know, Pharisee thing. And then this tax collector just hits his chest and says, God, be merciful to me. God, be merciful to me. Now we get Jesus' commentary, right? Verse 14. This is when everyone is shocked. Um, This is like the end. I don't know if you've seen Lost, the show. Um, But here's what happened. I'm not going to spoil it because you might still be, it might be in the queue on your Netflix Here's the thing. You get to the last episode, and you're like, seriously, bro? Like, honestly, J.J. Abrams? Like, that's what you did? Like, there's no way that this could be possible. And so in the same way, Jesus says, hey, and by the way, the human trafficker, God's pleased with him. Right? Like, everybody's like, what? Um, you crazy, Jesus. Like, that ain't right, you know? And so Jesus flips this whole script. Why? Why why does the tax collector walk home justified? It's because he had humility, right? What Jesus is getting at is humility. Um, Raise your hand if you've used the word justified this week, um, outside of talking about Justin Timberlake's album. It's, it's kind of old, I get it, all right. It's like a couple albums ago. Right, so, so we don't use this word very much. Um, it's, it's a big theological word that means going from spiritual death to life. Right, there, there's, a, there's a moment where someone goes from death to life. And the story is one who outwardly uh, looks like he's justified, but he's not. He's not justified before God. And we see this tax collector who has his heart in the right place. Remember how he designates himself? I am a sinner. I am a sinner. So what Jesus is telling us tonight is that it's all about humility. And we're about to watch a video um, of a guy named Brian Welch. And his story of um, humility coming before the Lord... Um, And I think what we're going to see is that Jesus saves the broken 
hearted and the humble people. Father, my uh, real estate broker, Eric, he, uh, he said, Brian, I don't mean to be weird with you. And I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I, f- I felt the scripture like jump out at me. I've never done this before, you know, so I don't really know how to do this, but I felt like this would mean something to you. It's Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I remember all tweaked out. I looked up in the dictionary, weary. I looked up burdened, and I just I pulled the scripture apart. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm weary and burdened, and I need rest for my soul. And uh, I didn't know if it was real, but, the, you know, they invited me to church a couple couple weeks later, and I received Christ at the church I went home neglected my daughter got it all smooth and powdery Jesus you gotta take these drugs from me search me right now search my heart Father I felt so much fatherly love from from heaven and it was like I don't condemn you I love you I love you it was just love love and instantly that love from God came into me. It was so powerful that the next day I threw away all my drugs and uh, I quit corn. I was like, I'm quitting corn and I'm going to raise my kid because my kid, like I got the love from God coming to me and then it came out of me to my kid. It changed me. My heart was changed like that. And I was like, Janaya, daddy's going to be home with you all the time. I'm quitting my career. And her face lit up, and she's like, for me? You know, she felt so special, and uh, God used her to save me, to save her life later on. So it's the humble and broken that Jesus saves, right? So it's humble and broken people that Jesus saves. So what do we know about salvation? We're going to do this really quickly um, from the New Testament. There's a few words um, that the New Testament, basically it all kind of means the same thing. Um, salvation in the New Testament, we know that it's a one-time instantaneous event. Okay, um, Peter speaking to the crowds at Pentecost. They're quickened to their hearts. They've heard the message of Jesus. And they cry out, what must we do to be saved? And he says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? And 3,000 of them became Christians that day, in an instant. Uh, But that's not all that salvation entails um, in the New Testament. The exact moment of repentance, a person goes from death to life. But then what? Then we're in this interim period that most of us are in right now. Um, There's a lot of Greek grammar stuff behind this, but we're going to use a really quick matrix, okay? You were saved at one point in time. Now you are currently being saved, okay, from your sin, from yourself, from the enemy, from addictions, etc. There's coming a day when you will ultimately be saved when you're plucked from this earth or Jesus comes back. Whichever one comes first. Uh, and the big theological terms for that are justification, sanctification that most of us are in right now. 
glorification, you get a new body and you get to hang out with Jesus all the time. Okay? But for our purposes this, this evening, um, I want to look at um, the similarities in regards to humility, right? It's pretty clear that Brian Welch was humble, right? He's all tweaked out on meth. He's listening to his daughter like recite some of his songs, which are just terrible. And Jesus shows up and floods him with all this love, right? Don Dent is in the exact same place. Jesus, why would you waste those three nails on me? Right? There's, there's this humility that comes when we lay down our arms and we say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. I need you to restore me to right relationship with the Father. And without you, I cannot do it. Right? If you're a Christian today, then you've been there. But then you started going to church and leading home groups and Bible studies and start having quiet times every day and you take pictures of it and you got your little coffee and it's like Instagram perfect, right? And somewhere along the way, you start judging people. You, you forget from whence you came, right? We don't know where this tax collector was in his journey. We, we, we don't know that. But we know that God wants humility from us, right? As we're growing as Christians, it takes humility for us in this interim state. Real quickly, I'm going to read um, Romans 6, 22 and 23, but I'm going to read it out of order, okay? I'm going to read it the way I think, well, what I'm not saying is, yeah, easy. Somebody throw up a flag. I was about to be a heretic. I'm going to read it in the order that I think the process goes. How's that? 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. There's our three stages. The majority of us are in stage two. The majority of us are still in stage two. So let's, let's remember how this happened for us. You heard the word taught, preached, heard it in a song, on the radio. Your heart was quickened. You set down your arms. You asked Jesus to forgive you. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. It was all that humility, Right? And I think tonight what Jesus is asking of us, so are you ready to stop playing the Pharisee? Because every single one of us, if we're saved in here tonight, we are playing the Pharisee at some point. And I can't tell you where that, what that is. Um, more than likely, you won't have this epiphany in a pride parade, like I did. But it's actually really perfect for me. I mean... It's just very stark contrast um, as far as the humility I did not possess. Right? I'm, I'm in seminary and straight, and God shows up in a gay pride parade for me and teaches me something about my depravity that I thought I already knew. 
So I think this parable is a call to humility for all of us. And again, I don't know where you're playing the Pharisee. I just know that you are. And I'm playing the Pharisee right now, looking at some of y'all probably. Like, I'm so messed up, I'm, I'm sinning when I don't even know it. Right? God, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Like, we, we need his mercy every single hour, every single minute, every single second of our lives. Humility is the way in the kingdom. God is calling us to lay down our arms and let us let him transform us into the likeness of his son. So I realize um, I've basically not told you how to do anything at this point. Um, A lot of this is the Holy Spirit continuing to work in your heart. Um, But I think there's three things that we could do. Um, One is you could ask God where you need humility. It's a great place to start. Two, maybe more scary, um, ask your spouse or a good friend that's got visibility over your life where you're not humble. That one's going to sting quite a bit. And thirdly, um, ask yourself if you've been resistant to the Holy Spirit in a certain area. And tonight, um, as we come to the table in a few minutes, I want us to remember the gospel. And, and the table is such a beautiful picture and why I love that we do it every single week. Where we have to pray, we have to remember what Jesus did on our behalf. And then we have to go in faith, taking the elements. Remember where you were, what you were doing, and the state of your heart when you gave your life to Christ. But also remember that you need humility along the way. Remember what Paul said to the Galatians in chapter 3? He says, you foolish Galatians, who has put a spell on you? Remember that? It's, it's, a, it's a lot more colorful um, than the English translation. You fools, who has cast a spell on you? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to perfect yourself by the works of the flesh? And that's probably our chief enemy as Christians today, is we keep trying to perfect ourselves. We take the spirit out of the equation. So tonight, um, we'll just say, remember the gospel. Remember the humility you had when you gave your life to Jesus. And then ask him to bring that to you continually, day in and day out. Let's pray. Father, um, Lord, I thank you that you sent your son to die in our place. Lord, that you imputed righteousness on our sake, on our behalf. Um, Lord, for your sake and your glory. Lord, I thank you that you love your church way more than we do. Lord, I thank you that you're the only way we can get this humility that we need. Jesus, we literally need you for every part of our lives. Lord, we cannot do it apart from you. And so, Lord, we ask you humbly, humble us. Lord, we need humility. Lord, we need it for our own lives, for our marriages, for the way we parent. But we need it so that the gospel goes forth and that you might receive more glory from our lives because of it. 
Jesus, I thank you for um, stories of men and women um, that, that show us the contrast and show us um, what humility really looks like. And Lord, I pray that you would um, take the posture of our hearts from that of the Pharisee to the tax collector. Jesus, we need you. We need you. We need you.